whether you change your role in the company or you leave or you quit or you start your own thing, change needs to be happening because you cannot settle for just being content. Okay, guys, I'm very excited for today's episode. But before we get into it, I'm going to need you to subscribe if you're not subscribed already, as we're going to have even more amazing episodes that you're not going to want to miss. Welcome to the Court of Guard podcast, the podcast where no topic is off limits. My name is Patricia Bright. I'm a content creator on YouTube, a self-proclaimed entrepreneur and founder of The Break Platform. On this podcast, we're going to have some amazing and successful guests who are all trailblazers in their own individual field, from models to business owners to founders, experts and influencers like myself. I'm going to find out what it's like to be there, what makes them tick, laugh and how they got to where they are and I'm even going to be brave enough to ask them what's in their wallet. As they say honesty is their best policy and hopefully you're about to be caught off guard. Okay so in this week's episode we speak to Akash Mehta, cover star of the 2020 Forbes 30 under 30 list and co-founder of Fable and Main. Akash has gone from being an entrepreneur within a company to being an entrepreneur, running not one, but two of his own companies. This episode is all about how to make an impact quickly, whatever industry you're working in. We discuss what it was really like working for luxury beauty brands from Dior to Burberry, how to get on the Forbes 30 under 30 list and the importance of doing the things you want to do, even if you don't feel ready. Listen, this was one that had me caught off guard and you're going to want to stay tuned. And if you like this episode, you'll love the episode of Grace Beverly and Alex Stedman coming up. Hello there, guys. Welcome to Court of Guard Season 2. My name is Patricia Bright, and it is a pleasure to be back. We did Season 1 almost a year ago, and there was a lot of demand and people wanting us to come back, and we have done it, even in these interesting circumstances that we are in. So what you have is our remote version of Court of Guard, but with just as amazing, if not slightly better, guests. No, I shouldn't say that. So we want to bring to you the best of business and style and inspiration when it comes to people that I know in my community and beyond. So today I'm really excited to introduce Akash. Hello, Akash. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I am doing amazing. I want to tell you a little bit about him as to why he's on our podcast today, because he's fantastic and a force to be reckoned with. He is a Forbes 30 under 30. He's a founder of his own brand, Fable and Main, and he was one of the youngest managers ever at Estee Lauder Groups. And while working at Dior Beauty as the digital marketing manager, he was able to generate over 50 million in earned media value. This is such a feat for someone so young. And it is a pleasure to have Akash on Court of Guard today. So you have been amazing at making yourself indispensable at some of these companies that you have worked at, and you've decided to move on and do your own thing. So I really want us to get into that and talk about your journey of success. But we usually start out with this section called an ice shaker. So I'm going to ask you some questions that, you know, may make you feel a little bit awkward, but I'm sure that you'll be fine with getting through these. Let's do it. 
Okay, so you're no longer working at Dior, Burberry, or Estee Lauder. So you can sort of speak freely. What is the shadiest thing that has ever happened to you while working in the luxury beauty industry? You don't have to say any names. Perfect. So I won't say any names, but the shadiest thing, I have two shadiest things. One would be um, people trying to fire me. For example, someone tried to plant an influencer to get dirt on me during a private coffee and then used what I said and was writing notes to then try to say I was bad mouthing people, which I wasn't. That was, oh my um, gosh. That was tricky uh, when that happens. And then the other serious thing would be my own boss basically from day one not really um, supporting me or not really wanting me to grow and learn. So that was definitely from day one. She was counting my mistakes with her hand and it was just really difficult. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to go into that a bit more, but let me carry on with the eye shaker because I'm going to ask you about 100 questions right about now. <laughs> Probably. Is the industry, as it seems, very white and middle class? You know what? It's, I was there for, I mean, I was in the industry for four or five years. And I would really safely say from year one to like the last year, um, I saw huge advancements. So I think now it's a bit, it would be unfair to say it is. But overall, I guess you can say there are still a lot of companies that unfortunately, especially in the top management level, this is the case, sadly. Yeah, there's a lot of discussions around that at the moment. But it's interesting to see where it's going to go. Okay, so we've known each other for a decent amount of time and we've met as influencers. What did you think of me when you met me the first time? And this is a nice shaker for me. (laughs) This is so funny because when I first met you, I was obviously working with Dior and you're the influencer. Um, We met in China and I had to be very professional and, you know, kind of, kind of, represent the brand but funnily enough you're actually someone who I used to watch on YouTube a lot growing up so I was a bit like fan fan not like fanboying whatever you call um but I had to be like no look I'm Dior I'm I'm the global manager you know uh, let's let's go for lunch but actually I was inside I was like oh my god I was texting my sister being like you don't know know who I just met and you were probably one of the I met many many different influencers and celebrities on my journey but you were the one I was probably the most excited for. And we get lists of like influencers that come to trips and stuff. So before I go, I know who's coming and who to expect. And you were the one I was like, oh, Patricia Bright's coming. Patricia Bright's coming. I oh remember. my gosh. Yeah, I shouldn't really That's admit so that crazy. to you. That's so crazy. I didn't know that. I mean, you've met like Bella Hadid <laughs> and all these lovely celebrities. Um, so for me, oh are wow, the appreciated. Mainly because you, you just say, like, as, as some, someone who I listen to the content, you are mm-hmm. one of the most inspiration people on the internet for oh. me. So that's why, um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciated. I didn't know that. We've yeah. definitely broken some ice there. Definitely. Okay, so I really want to get caught off guard and really delve more into your experiences and how you were able to make it as um, far as you had within the beauty industry so quickly and also how you then were able to take your learnings and moving to doing your own thing. So what was it that made you want to work for brands like Burberry, Estee Lauder and Dior? So I'm not going to lie, I think growing up, the name was always something that was quite glamorous and, you know, the idea of luxury, we often associated with like big names like Dior, Louis Vuitton, etc. So there was an initial sense of like the CV build of like having the best name and having the best kind of backing. And I, I think that's the main reason why. But I think as I grew older and as I started working more and more in there, that's when I started to be less attached to the name and more the work I'm doing there. But yeah, that was probably the first reason, to be honest. 
And actually, I know you a little bit and I know your background was actually engineering. So you went to Imperial College London and you studied engineering. How did you pivot from that, which is very, you know, numbers based and mathematical, not the most glamorous industry, to then going into the beauty space? Because I don't know if you felt like that was your natural trajectory. So growing up, my father has been in the beauty industry for over 40 years, but mainly in the fragrance world. So I used to always like go to his meetings and ask him like when I was 12 years old, like, can I just sit in the room and just listen in? So beauty was always something in the back of my head that was just kind of in my DNA and my blood. But in school, I was just really quite good at math and physics. Uh, yeah. No stereotypes, but you know, Indian. <laughs> it just was my thing. And I think yeah. I just naturally came into that path of saying, well, let's merge my two strengths of maths and physics and engineering seemed a logical step. But when I was in the degree, I really started to like feel like I was much more of a creative individual that liked numbers as opposed to a numbers individual that liked creativity. So I felt a bit lost and a bit wasn't sure if this was the right path. And actually in my, my penultimate year, I ended up failing some exams. That was sort of like my wake-up call. And at that time, I'm someone who, growing up, when I didn't get 95% and above, I would like be so upset. I would like cry. I was like a, that nerd that everyone used to hate. So yeah. for me to like <laughs> fail exams, yeah, I can admit that now. But, but now like failing exams at that moment was a huge wake-up call to realize now school is over, you're in the real world and you've got to do what you enjoy in life and that's when you'll get success. So yeah. it was actually the biggest blessing because I had job interviews at the likes of Goldman Sachs and banking and that was my path. And then actually I, I ended up in that year out working at Burberry in an internship that my dad managed to get me. And that was in digital marketing. And at that time was something so new. And I was like, let's try this. I fell in love. And then I said, okay, well now I'll start my career in... Um, in an industry I'm passionate about and I have an edge in, which was beauty from my father, but also in digital marketing, which I just fell in love with. That's wild. So you did the ultimate pivot, really, because I think a lot of people get caught up in, you know, I go to university, I do this degree, I have to do this job. And then you you realise you're doing it and you're like, I'm not sure if this is the right thing for me. And I'm similar in the sense that, you know, I did accounting and finance. I like numbers, but I'm also a creative person as well. And you were able to really find that synergy in what you do and be really good at maths and numbers and business, but also being the industry you're into. Yeah, I love and I that. Think that's, that's why we're so similar. And I think actually we, we have an edge in this sort of creative, digital, social world by having that analytical background, because we're always coming in from a sort of business finance route in an industry that doesn't have that many people thinking in that way. So we can hopefully pioneer it, especially in my role in, in the companies of Dior, et cetera, where it was all about influencer social media. My main stance was how do we put some numbers and data to this? I love that. Data is so much power. So what was it like working in the corporate beauty world? Because I think corporate beauty is different to, you know, working in finance corporate or accounting corporate, but there are similarities. Can you share us with um, what the day-to-day -day is like? Definitely. I mean, so I worked in corporate luxury fashion a little bit with Burberry and then beauty. And Although I would say they're quite similar, just luxury, um, I mean, fashion has certain moments with autumn, winter, spring, summer, cruise, beauty, you have a lot more campaigns throughout the year. That's the main differentiator. But in terms of like people and hierarchy and egos, it's pretty much the same. You're entering a world <laughs> where there is a lot of people who've been there for 30, 40 years and there are a lot of new people that have come just for the name. 
And there are some in-between people who are just in these companies, but they don't even fit the bill. You're like, oh, that's a very, that's a, the average person just coming in and working in analytics in Dior, but he's not a Dior person. So sure. there was a lot of different variety in these companies. And I think working in that, that was quite comforting to know that, especially in digital, which is such a new type of industry, I had a lot of different personalities that I could eventually find my niche in. Like, like, like kind of like school, you have like cliques. That very much yeah. happens in big companies. You have certain types of cliques. But working in, definitely working in corporate beauty is one of the most important things is, is to be really strong yourself, but still being humble. And I think that's how you win. You have to like, a lot of people go for this sort of like hard edged approach of I'm confident so I don't get run over myself. And I think the wrong thing with that is, is a lot of people end up just not liking you. And I think that happens a wow. lot in the industry. So I think yeah. for me, being someone who is, with high positions at a younger age. And I thought initially that would bring me an advantage of being, oh, you know, he's endearing, he's young. But actually it became like a threat. Like, why is this young kid coming into the boardroom readings with the CEO? So I had to quickly adapt and realize, okay, I can't be now condescending and like kind of belittling being so young and then speaking up. But can I use my age as an advantage and let my ability of work be the king and then later um, kind of just listen and you know, know when to speak up. So I adapted a lot in the situation to make it as manageable as possible, but it was definitely difficult at times. I can imagine. So was it like the devil wears Prada, basically? Is there the beast at the top? Let's not say beast, but is there someone at the top who is cracking <laughs> that whip and, you know, not making it be the nicest environment? So, I mean, I'll give you examples working in the companies like Dior and stuff. Like this, the top management, my CEO was a dream. So for me, it was like, not really Devil's Worst Prada, where my CEO was the most humble being and he was my mentor, like my inspiration. And that's why I stayed in the company for that long. But there were people in senior positions who you could say were like the Devil's Worst Prada approach. But I think that kind of goes with any company. I wouldn't like hold it to Dior or other companies. But in general, Dior actually was pretty, like 95% of it was like so enjoyable, nothing like what you think and... You've worked with Dior as well, so you know the people internally. It, it's just a really 100%. beautiful family and team. And I'm not saying that now, I'm, I really mean it. But there are obviously individuals that can sometimes be difficult. So you mentioned, obviously, being quite young and being in quite a senior position. And I think that's really challenging for a lot of people, that pressure to come out of university and then have a lot of responsibility straight off the bat. But there must have been a reason as to why you were given that level of responsibility, because I'm sure that your work proved over and over again that you were worth it. But how did you find that and navigate being a young person or a younger person in quite a high position because you had access to the CEOs. So my my technique was from day one, when I entered, even in my first interview, I said, if my age is ever mentioned in a meeting, sort of like if my race was mentioned or anything, I would quit in a heartbeat. And I said, I wanted to make, I put that down in the table from day one because I wow. was used to being in situations where people said, Mehmet, but how old are you? Like, uh, you're very young. And I was like, no, 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 talk about my work. Like, if you say you're very Ooh. young, but your work is not good, no problem, we can talk. But if you're saying you're very young, uh, but nothing about my work, then I would say that's like ageist. That's just basically like me saying to an older person, but, but how old are you? You're very old. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> You know, yeah. I would never say that. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, had to set course. that boundary. And I think because I was one of the first, if I may say, like one of the first in the industry to be of a quite senior position at 
when I started at 20, even 22, and then 23, uh, managing teams of, of people, you know, who are older than me, I had to like find that balance between being endearing, humble and young, but also being strict with my morals and really putting the sense of the company comes first and my work comes first, not the way I execute it by my age or my being, you know, that's, that's irrelevant. But I also made sure as well that I didn't have this overly confident approach of like, I'm young, I'm powerful. I wanted to say, I'm young, I'm here to learn, I'm here to grow. I know next year I'll be saying, oh, I've come so far. But when you talked, talked about my day-to-day work, can I at least be appreciated for the work? And I don't want my age to be a barrier to entry to things that perhaps is not relevant to other things. That's amazing. Okay, so you got into Forbes 30 under 30. I want you to share with us beginning, middle and end on how this worked. And if this was a goal for you, because honestly, this is amazing. And Forbes have had a bit of their issues in the past because they were talking about Kylie Jenner being a billionaire and didn't have their facts quite right. But how did you find that process? Yeah, so I mean... I'll be, I'm always honest with everything I do. Like growing up, I'm very different to who I am right now. And I think we all grow and learn. So I did have those vanity goals and, you know, uh, like I did write down a piece of paper things that I think everyone does that. Like I want to get a cover one day. I want to get Forbes study at 30 one day. So it was definitely something I would say that was, that was in mm-hmm. my mind. But I didn't actually think it would happen at, when I got at 25. So I didn't plan for it or anything. Well, what happened was I was working with so many different agencies at the time. And many of them at, while I was at Dior were saying, look, like what you're working on, what you're doing is quite like entrepreneurial. Like it's very new for Dior. It's very like, you know, like kind of building things within this company. So I started thinking, hang on, yeah, maybe I can get something like Forbes 13 to 30, even working for a big heritage company. I thought I always needed to have created my own business and made it into like a million dollar business. But actually I thought you can still be a corporate employee and still be recognized and being an entrepreneur. It's called like a corporate entrepreneur, right? How you can change things within a company. So I looked at what I did and I thought that's actually potentially, um, yeah, that kind of works. So I actually, um, a few of my colleagues and my team uh, nominated me. And then I actually just asked a few more. I said, do you mind just nominating me? Because, you know, you need to like plan things. You can't just have one or two. You've got to have a few, right? And then what happened was I didn't hear from them until a few weeks later. And they said, congratulations, you've been shortlisted. You get like an editor or someone that emails you. And they basically asked for a lot more data to be filled, like a huge Google Doc. And then I was worrying because I was like, oh my God, they're asking for revenue I created and this and that. And actually like I'm working for a company like Dior. So I'm not responsible for, I'm responsible for like a slither of the company, right? It's so big, it's bigger than me. So then I just started like keeping those sections blank. And I just said, look, I'm not responsible for revenue driving things, but I'm responsible for a lot of different things. And here is the new things that maybe they could even start thinking about. And I didn't hear from them at all. But you send your photo and stuff before, so they have all the information you need. And then on the day when they announced it, I remember seeing like in my email and like there's been announced a list and I just was like, oh, okay, I didn't get it clearly because they would have notified me. So yeah. I just walked to work and then I was like, not upset, but I was a bit like, oh, okay, that, that didn't happen. And I just thought, let me just check who's on the list. And I went on the list and I saw my face and my name and I was like, what? Like, well, how am I on the list? But I didn't even get told. So then I remember, oh, my it was so embarrassing, but I literally like, saw it and I was like, oh my God. And I was really excited that I actually walked back home. <laughs> and then I went to my room and I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I did a little bit of dance. And then I called my mom and my parents and then went to work. And then, then it basically was like, okay, then it didn't matter. And then it was like, okay, that was yesterday. Uh, no one, I, it mattered for me, but it was interesting. Like, 
I don't think it was something that people in France really uh, knew. So when I said it to the office, people were like, oh, c'est cool, c'est cool. I was like, Isn't, is this bigger? Is this big or is this not big? Because maybe no one cares. So, I think yeah. the French are just very cool for school. They're like, yeah, you, yeah. you made a million dollars, fine. No, yeah, many, whatever. Many, many people said, what is that? And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to tell people in the office because no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> but no, was, but that's was, such an achievement. Oh, thank you. I would yeah. love to. I'm past 30 now. But, you know, Forbes 40, under 40, I could do that and be one of the youngest doing that. Okay. Okay, so you've left corporate and now you're on your own entrepreneurial journey. But I know that you also are an influencer. You've got your own following. And then I don't know if that has um, directly influenced what your business is doing. But firstly, could you share with me more about your experience as an influencer and working with influencers? And then let's go into your journey of becoming a full-blown entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely. So I will say like growing up, I was just super shy and I wasn't someone who had the vision of having follow. I think that actually scared me, like the idea of to be recognized on the internet. So mm -hmm. it wasn't something I was planning. But during my university, being an engineer, I really needed that creative outlet. And I was always quite passionate about singing. I actually, a uh, little funny story, but when I was growing up, I was asked to be on The Voice UK in a blind audition. But, but wow. I ended up going to Japan and I missed my, my audition. So that was sad. Um, <laughs> this <laughs> that, is crazy. Yeah, that How was, did that they was hear like, you? So I, I went to, I, I got scouted. So I went to produce around. I sang in front of them and I went to the studios. And then they said, great, we'll call you back in two, three months and we'll, for the blind auditions. But then actually they called me, but it was a voice note when I was in Japan. It was like, sorry, we moved it earlier. Can you come on Thursday? And I was, and when I came home, I was like, oh, I missed it. And then it was already filmed. So that was sad. But actually it was better because, again, I was really shy at this point. Okay. So to be on a stage or something, I was not ready for. But when I went to university, I started finding my love for singing again. And I used to, I found a producer from Sony and I used to work on a studio with him every evening um, after lectures. And he told me, Cash, you should really think about growing your social media following because to get signed by Sony in the end, that will really have an impactful, uh, you know, uh, stance on it. So I basically started to record covers. I did a bit of my own advertising. I kind of did a lot of digital marketing techniques. And before I knew it, I started getting like a million plays on some of my songs. Some of them went viral. Uh, What? Yeah. Yeah. Can we, we need to find the clip. Producer, find no. the clip. Let's drop it in here. Climb the highest mountain, cross the deepest river. That's what I would do for you. Chained and bounded by love, all I carry for you feels heavy under me. Love that. So uh, I kind of was getting my social media following from that. And then I kind of transitioned into travel because I used to travel a lot when I had the time. And I used to take a lot of travel, the typical influencer self shots of like me kind of looking backwards, posing with the background. Yeah. And some of them went a bit viral again on Instagram. So I started gaining my following. But then I really started, um, there was a turning point in my, in my influencing career where uh, this is something that It's maybe a bit random, but I used to get paid sometimes quite a bit. And probably you can relate to this, Patricia, with like, you know, we started getting ads and a lot of companies coming to us. And it was yeah. always hard as an individual to decide, okay, that's not really my brand, but that's a lot of money, right? Like that's, that's yeah. a good amount of money. So there was one actually company, a famous company that reached out to me. And this is when I started losing a little bit of, bearing in mind, I was just at S. Lauder at this time. So I started to like work in these companies. So I was a brand as well as an influencer. And I started to see like this, this agency that was representing the brand and talking to me said, what's my rate? And I said, this is my rate, X amount. Um, I said, I think at that time I was like, I have around 2,000 pounds for usage rights and everything. Mm -hmm. 
And then, then, then she said, no, 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 no. I had a 10,000 budget for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you 10,000. And I literally at that wow. point, I, obviously I accepted it because I was like, that's a lot more money. I'll take I'll it. take the 10,000. Yeah. 10, but after I was like, this is how the industry is not sustainable. And I think, you know, I was the problem because I accepted it. But then you have like this inflation rate within, I think now, is that my minimum? And there's all this thing that was like, and it wasn't helped because they didn't do their vetting. So in the UK, I don't have that much following. Most of my following is US and India. So I should have said that to them and said, actually, I'm not worth that for you. And I think that's wow. when you see today, and you see this, you're someone who is a true influencer who really has authentic reach, authentic following. Um, I have tools that deal with that can see fake followers and that, and you are like the best by the best. But there's so many, in, honestly, honestly. I'll but take there's so it. Many, <laughs> There's so many influences that are sort of like making the industry not sustainable. So I wanted to then, from my personal account, say I'm no longer doing ads because I was a business. I was working for brands, but I had a mission to do it right in these brands. And when I came to Dior, my mission was to work with the right talent that are relevant for the brand, but also have real following, real reach and are relevant to the market. Um, so putting again that data to the thing. So I stopped kind of caring about my own following in terms of growing it, but more about the value of it. So how can I talk to my existing people, my existing followers and get closer to them that I perhaps didn't get to do before? And that's been my mission for the last year or two in doing all this entrepreneurial stuff. So now I would not really call myself an influencer because I haven't grown. If you look at my social blade, I'm like staying at this number, but that's okay because I'm more going for the quality right now. I'm being closer. If I can help one person, that's all I need to do. Amazing. And I know you're really about living an authentic life. I know you're not someone who just chases coin and number. I, I don't think it's something that you're about. And even with myself, you know, I've got such a big following at this point in time. And I do do ads and I still do deals, but I'm extremely selective. I dismiss 85 to 95% of the requests that comes in. But even myself, like I feel a level of responsibility for the people who are in my community. I don't want, I will never recommend a bad product, but also for the brands that I work with, if it's not worth it for them, I, I would be clear in saying, do you know what, there's no point and this isn't going to work for my followers at all. But I do think that the industry is, is changing a lot. People themselves are jaded with being recommended stuff all the time. And even myself, like my goal is just to use my authentic voice as much as I can to talk about stuff that interests me. And if it's beauty and business, you know, I'll talk about it. That's absolutely fine. Even if it isn't brand safe or PR safe, because I feel good by doing what I want to do. And, and I can see that. I mean, you, you're, you're one of the, the people that even when we worked at Dior, you were so communicative and you really like was trying to make us, educating us about who your audience is, what they would like. And it was, that was refreshing for me. That's why I fell in more in love with you because you weren't about the coin and you weren't about, you were like, you were putting your audience first. And I think that yeah. was like, ah, oh, so refreshing. So you have been working on your own brand and I can see that in the background fabulously already seeing its features in the magazines. How has this journey been? You've launched Fable and Main alongside your sister, who is also a creative genius, might I add. Um, how has this journey gone for you? Oh, it's been the best journey of my life for sure. We did it quite slow and steady wins the race. We didn't want to rush into it, but also because we were learning. So for us as new entrepreneurs and creating a hair care brand that honestly, you know, my father's in fragrance. I've worked in makeup, skincare. I've never really, 
had a, a hair care brand, we really wanted to take our time. But doing it with my sister has been like the best experience, funnily enough. It could have gone either way. I mean, it could have gone really bad or really good. But I think we really understood that we're so different. I'm corporate trained. I'm like a bit more of a numbers person, the finance business guy. I can make it grow. She's the creative genius behind the brand. She's the one who came up with the name, the concepts. And together, we actually have, we fill each other's kind of weaknesses and we kind of boost each other's strengths. So working with her has been a dream. And, and I think for me, um, because I had a potential career path in Dior and LVMH already set out, I wanted to also take that time while working in both companies, building Fable in Maine before we launched and working at Dior to really understand if I make a decision, there's no going back. I either dedicate myself fully to Fable in Maine or I stay in corporate and I grow and grow and grow. But I actually started to see the market change. Founder-owned businesses were kind of the ones that people were growing. I looked at Sephora really as the key example of that, where you look at the front of store and you see these new digital-born savvy. Fenty Beauty was the example of how founder-led brands can really succeed. And I thought, actually... Maybe Fable and Main could make revenue bigger than Dior one day. And that's when I realized. Wow, that's vision move. there. That's yeah. vision and, and, and it's, it's ambition as well. But also in a kind of crazy way, it's not unattainable. And I think that's what I love that today. I looked at Drunk Elephant and I was like, you know, in the, really in the inception of when it was made. And you can talk about the last four years being when it really grew. And now bought by Shishada for $800 million. You know, oh, that's a sort wow. of like. Today, you can grow a brand within one year and make it into a multi, multi-million, even billion dollar company. So again, not saying numbers are everything, but when you talk about business, you've got to be finance driven. You've got to think about numbers as well. And that's something that led me to believe that, you know what, I can make a really good living and enjoy it more having my own brand. And that's what yeah. made me make the move. Could you share a little bit more about your routine and in general, a bit more about Fable and Maine? Because yeah. I think people need to know about it. So Fable and Maine, it's an Ayurvedic inspired hair wellness brand. The reason why we created this was first and foremost, India, pretty much Indian people are quite well known for their hair. A lot of people say they're very beautiful, thick hair. And like over 95% of the world's wigs are all made from Indian hair that just dyed. So that's why today I was quite shocked going into like in the Western world, going into the likes of Sephora, etc., seeing that you have Moroccan oil, you have a lot of like kind of stylist brands, but nothing really about India. And um, I kind of felt like maybe it was a time to bring that kind of um, efficacy of Indian Ayurvedic, which is an ancient practice from thousands of years ago, and bring those traditions to the main world today, but also in everyone's household. So something that can be done at home, at home rituals. And this stemmed from growing up, my grandma used to come from India and bring these incredible like adaptogens and Indian ingredients, make these oils at home and oil our hair while telling us like Indian fables, like these childhood stories of animals that could speak, like the tiger and the forest. Oh, I love so like hair care and storytelling was something that most Indians today would have had growing up. So that's where Fable and Maine, the name came together with the story and the hair. Wow. And we spent a long time to sort of like, we wanted to make it in America because we kind of felt it was a Sephora type brand, which usually ends up kind of trickling around the world as like a sort of new brand. But we wanted to work with the best labs and the best in perfumers around the world to create a product that's modern, accessible, inviting, but still got all the ingredients that Ayurvedic have and create something quite innovative in this way. So we're really proud. We've launched at Sephora as our first retailer. We're launching with Boots now and speaking to many more and... It's crazy because we've just launched it during coronavirus period. So that was like the only sales we know is just during COVID. But actually, um, 
it's, I think, been quite fortuitous for two reasons. One is it's for at-home rituals. Everyone's taking self-care wellness so seriously right now at home. So online sales have been really great. But also our main mission is also our CSR, which is all about giving back to the tiger of India and the wildlife animals. So our tiger is our emblem. And um, we're doing a lot of fundraising with our fund to ensure that we can really help educate uh, villagers in India to stop poaching tigers. And then Tiger King came out as well during COVID. So I <laughs> yeah. was like, this is the universe speaking that Fable and Maine is meant to launch this year. So yeah. Amazing. What is your advice for people who are in a corporate, you know, comfortable position and have, you know, the opportunity for trajectory, but they have something in the back of their mind that says, oh, I might want to go down this creative route. I might want to try something else. What would you say to them? I would say age is, again, nothing but a number. So you can do it at 20, you can do it at 80. It doesn't matter as long as you're driven and you're focused on your idea. Definitely timing does matter a little bit because you want to be sometimes the first to market. A lot of people are on the same path as you. My biggest goal, would, my biggest advice actually would be try to assess yourself within these companies. And if you've stopped learning and stopped growing, whether you change your role in the company or you leave or you quit or you start your own thing, change needs to be happening because you you, yes. you cannot settle for just being content and for just saying, yep, it's okay, I'm enjoying it, it's all good. Don't be comfortable. Keep on yeah. pushing, keep on growing because that's when you grow as an individual and life is all about growing. You don't want to not grow, right? We want to keep on yeah. learning and moving. So I see a lot of people in, in these companies that are just comfortable and they, even if they say, oh, but I have a family, I have children, like, you know, look at you, Patricia, like you're always striving to do more and more and more, even though you have hundreds of things going on, you're still doing it. So there's no excuses, no excuses. I think in life, like doing stuff and creating is essential to like being happy. And I think that we're all born to, no one's saying start a business or, you know, become an artist, but we all have to do more than something, we, more than the standard. If not, we feel like we're not going anywhere and we don't have self-fulfillment. And even if that's transforming your body by exercising continuously or reading every day to grow your knowledge or building a business, I think these are things that we do that will give us a sense of purpose. I hate sitting down doing nothing. I literally can't do it. You know, I probably need to learn to do it a little bit more, but I enjoy the process of thinking about something and following through with it. Like even doing this Court of Guard podcast, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And so it's just part of life. And I think that anybody who wants to maybe leave corporate and go about something themselves, I'll just add to what you said, is that you do need to kind of have a little bit of a plan, but you'll regret not making some moves and look back at your, your time and say, I should have done it. So it's worthwhile doing something. And I would just add as well, like, a lot of people are sort of questioning if it's the right time. A lot of people say, maybe I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready mm. yet. Let me tell you this, like, again, I'm not saying it's about creating your business. That's just one avenue. But it could be making your job even more, having more people in your team. It could be growing your job responsibilities. It could be anything. But you'll never really be ready. Like, I had a meeting with one of my CEOs yes. in the past. And he said, oh, you know, after this company, maybe I'll have my own business. But not sure, you know, where to start. It's going to be a bit scary. And I thought, wow, like this person, a lot older than me, a lot more experienced than me, is feeling the exact same way I am. So actually, if I wait a year, three years, 10 years, I'll be feeling the same. So you've got to start. And then only then can you feel less and less worried. But unknown is, is normal. 
and being scared yeah. is normal, but you have to channel that yes. into something positive. I love that. I love that. You know, my sentence, my favorite sentence is fail fast or like, you know, try. Exactly. If it, if it doesn't work, just move on like move to on. the next. And then you also have a branding agency. So again, your corporate, your entrepreneurial, your agency, you're doing a lot. You like to do a lot. How do you balance it all? So some days I would say really great. Some days I would say terribly. So I'm by no means an expert in this field to give advice, but because um, I should listen to myself half the time. And that's very important. Like people might be listening and saying, wow, he's got his stuff together. But honestly, there are days where I'm like pulling my hair out, being like, why am I doing all this stuff? But I think it's about just being really mindful. So for me, I, I know as an individual, I like to invent things and keep on doing things and growing things. So I was at a crossroad where I was doing two, three things and I was thinking, oh, I'm stressed. I don't know how I can do the next. And I looked at my dad and I said, he has 20, 30 businesses. How does he manage that all? The only way he can manage it all is delegation, having a strong mm. team. You're not alone in life. So I started realizing I got to like maybe be less of a control freak and that's something I am. And it's yeah. okay to say, you know what? You go to this meeting, you do this and some, you know, you handle this. And I think that's the only way to expand because as a human, okay, 24 hours a day yeah. is long but it's still only 24 hours. So if I yeah. want to build my little empire, I got to start delegating and growing. And that's why I built yeah. my team. I'm growing my team each um, few months, but it's not going to stop me from doing more things because I love, that's something I can't get rid of. I love keep on doing new, but I need to make sure I've got the past in a safe hand with a strong business plan before leaving it. I don't want to rush it and just let it kind of, you know, let it die. I, I need to like make sure it survives too. So I can still learn from that and it still grows that, but I still have my path set on other new things. And that's kind of like growing, but still learning at the same time. But I, I, my, my agency right now is something that the, the reason why I'm doing it is because having my, my brand with my sister is amazing, but I also want to have my own thing. And I always recommend people, you know, in life to sometimes have your own business. That's just purely yours because it's like, something you can control. And in life, many things can happen. So my agency was my little baby that I wanted to have. And let's see where it goes. I love it. And I love that you said that point about like, you're not alone. And my, my dad used to say this to me all the time. And he still says it. It's like, if you ever need help, just ask. There are people around you who can help you. And no one gets to a billion dollars or even a million pounds without having people help them get to where they are. And I realized that I'm where I am because of the team that I have. They've helped me so much. And that's my mom, my dad, my my husband, my staff. And yeah, the more I build it out, the more I can do. Definitely. So for our next section, we are going to do a drop and give me 20. I'm just going to do some quick fire questions. I just want you to give me your instant answers. Perfect. So Paris or London? London. Yoga or a workout? Workout. India or England? India. Thinking fast or thinking slow? Thinking fast. Learning or doing? Learning. You relax by? Meditating. Failure to you is about? Learning from them. When was the last time you felt like you couldn't do something? Today. <laughs> the last time you felt genuinely embarrassed? Oh, on Saturday, I was doing a live streaming and someone randomly popped on and started dancing in a towel naked while I was talking, like, while people were on the 
thing. And I was like, how is this person on the live stream? So that was... Are you like, <laughs> click off. <laughs> get off, get off. The last time you felt genuinely nervous? Yesterday, in a, in a meeting. The next country on your bucket list? Ecuador. Your favourite affirmation? Always give and never expect. And your biggest inspiration is? My father. Your favourite spice? Turmeric. What's your favourite fable and main product that you can't live without? My holy roots hair oil. Because I oil my hair daily, so definitely hair oil. Okay, so in this section here, we have another awkward bit, but we want to talk about what's in your wallet. We are not afraid to talk about money and numbers, and I think that this is an area that people need to have a bit more of awareness about. Now, I'm not going to ask you how much you have specifically in your wallet right about now, but you can share if you want to, but a few other questions around money. So did working in luxury beauty teach you anything about your own worth? Definitely. It made me really question what the definition of luxury is. And I think I realized very early on in luxury that my worth is not necessarily about money because that's the thing that often is brought up in terms of do we go business class? Do we do that? And having experienced all of that glamour and um, attractiveness of that industry, I wasn't much happier by the end of it. It all became a blur. And I started to not appreciate, like, you know, going on business class was like, oh, okay. And because I was so used to it and I kind of expected it. And I would be in meetings where people were like, I can't believe they're making me go in premium economy. And I was like, then I started listening and I was like, hang on, let's actually really be taking a step back and realize how grateful we are. So it made me actually really appreciate my own worth and what I had in my past and what I will have in the future and not take it for granted. Because the thing you have in luxury will only last when you work for that company. Then you leave, like now I have my own company, the business class tickets, I don't know if I can afford every day, you know? So it makes you really value that. Amazing. What's the sales ambitions you have for your company? Do you plan to sell? Do you have a revenue number that you want to hit that you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so for me, for, for Fable and Maine, again, this is where I have to probably discuss with my sister because she might not have these numbers, so we find the happy medium. But I want to kind of follow the drunk elephant approach of in probably five, four, five years, getting to the level where either I can get acquired or sell to a big conglomerate uh, who can... But making sure I put the the stance of the mission, the CSR, I still control, because um, that's my main goal with the company is not necessarily revenue, but the more revenue I get, the more good I can do in the world, because I don't want to use my father's money anymore for all my charity initiatives. I want to make my own money, mm -hmm. but I need to make a big company for that. So I would definitely have it acquired in the future, but I want to manage the the fund and the the, the tiger conservation. So are we looking at a billion dollars like, you know, Kylie? Because my ticket some point in time. <laughs> I would say between 300 to 500 million would be my goal for sure. Amazing. And you know what's so interesting? Yeah. Goals like this in the world that we live in now is not out of the ordinary. It's not out of the no. ordinary at all. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Outside of yourself, Fable and Maine and your agency, what else are you investing in? So recently, that's been some of the things that I've been trying to do, kind of like mimicking my father who's got his feet in many ponds. Someone asked me recently, like, oh, but you like so many things. So how was it like to choose one path? And I realized, actually, even though my business might be in beauty, I can still be involved in industries that I'm still passionate about, but maybe from an investment point of view or an advisory board point of view. So currently right now, 
I am a, the board member of LVMH for Jean Patu, Patu, and I'm an investor in this brand, me and my sister, and we go to boardroom meetings, the big people from LVMH, so that's something that I'm still in, and I go a couple of times a year. So it's nice to still be affiliated with LVMH and, and a fashion house that's kind of in the rise of sustainability. Definitely Patu is changing the game in that way. I'm also involved a lot with documentaries. I'm working right now, potentially in working with a fashion sustainability documentary stemming from my father who invested in the Game Changers, the vegan documentary. So I'm kind of like copycatting my dad, but doing my yeah. own thing. And I'm also now investing in a, a plant-based milk company as well. So doing the things I'm passionate about, like film, veganism and um, fashion, I'm still getting my feet in those in those pools, but more from an investor. And it's actually really comforting to be in a point where I can actually... Like about three years ago, I would have been so scared to put my own money in things. I didn't have enough of it to my name. And now as I start building myself and I start being smart with my finances and saving things and watching a lot of the break videos that Patricia does about financing, it really, really makes me know when is the right time to invest. And actually, it's no point having money just sitting in a bank. Invest in it. That's the best thing to do right now. 100%. I love that. And finally, do you have any takeaways for our listeners? My first thing is, if you are, and I think many of you today who might be, for example, furloughed, doesn't have necessarily a career path or have done a degree and not sure where to go next, channel that unknownness and be really mindful about yourself and know that you are the only one that can create your future. No one else can do it. So first, get out of that hole that you might be in and start, you know, believing in yourself because if I didn't do that then I wouldn't be where I was even today and I'm still not complete I have so much more to learn and grow so no it's a long-term marathon it's not a sprint but my other thing would be never let age get in the way if you have failures learn from them and grow quickly I love when you said about failures fast like just get up get up and do the next thing and I will say because it would be silly not to say leverage your connections your friends People will support you. Even people like myself and Patricia, like we're on the internet to help people because people have helped us on our journey. So always feel free to message, reach out, get advice because we do live in a world where it's all about who you know and and how you get recommended to things. And you can't be blindful to that. So be yourself, be your true authentic self, have a strong being, but also navigate the world that we do live in by being a bit smart and tactical. It has to be done. Amazing. Well, it was great having you on. You have motivated me. I'm like, oh, let's get going. Let me go do something else. And I'm sure <laughs> that you have a busy day. Um, say hi to your sister for me. And where can people find you? I have my Instagram, which is uh, Meta, my surname, M-E-H-T-A underscore A. Um, I also have a YouTube with the same thing. But yeah, you can just type in Akash Meta and hopefully some things will come out all his Forbes articles and fantasticness around the internet. Well, it was great having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Patricia. And see you very soon. Thank you so much for listening. And we're not done yet. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening on. If you like the Court of Guard podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Please share the podcast on your social media or in your WhatsApp groups and let me know your thoughts on what we've discussed using the hashtag CourtOffGuardPod. Follow me and The Break on Instagram and YouTube and you can just Google me. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people find us. And I'd love to know what future guests you'd like me to interview and what topics you'd like us to discuss. So keep all your suggestions coming. I read all your comments and I really appreciate your feedback. 
and support. So until next time. Caught Off Guard presented by The Break Platform is an independent podcast created and hosted by Patricia Bright. The producer and executive producer is Clarissa Pappy.